Amen. Anything with strings, even a violin. So thank you, David. Well, let me just share this, this simple story. You just can't mess this up. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the earth. Now, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all proceeded to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because his family was from the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was expecting a child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom his favor rests. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them back into heaven, the shepherds began saying to each other, let us go immediately to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurriedly came and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement that had been told them about this child. Incredible story, incredible story. I want to talk today about the perfect Christmas fail. You know, we, we have these plans for Christmas and rarely do uh, the accomplishment of those plans meet our expectations. And I think, well, that's, that's just fine because Mary and Joseph were about to bring their first child into the world, a child that they knew to be the son of God. And yet it says, she brought forth her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, that's probably a, an American understanding of, of an Old Testament story. There, there really weren't inns, especially in towns like Bethlehem, maybe Jerusalem, you might find a place where visitors would uh, call an inn or a place where they could stay, people who rented out rooms, but not so much in a village like Bethlehem. It was the Jewish practice when you were traveling that you would just go and sit in the square, in the town square. And the villages, uh, the villagers were 
under social obligation and under Jewish law to invite you to stay at their home. They would see somebody there and it was just immediate. They would invite you to their home and they would serve you as a kind of a bed and breakfast thing. But because of this census, I imagine everything was just completely filled. We don't know exactly how this happened, uh, but somebody took pity on them in some fashion or another. And and while they couldn't find themselves uh, lodging in a normal home, somebody probably directed them, uh, most believe, to a cave where they kept animals. At least they could get in out of the weather. And so it was there that that God brought forth his firstborn, a child who became the savior of the world and my savior and, and your savior as well. As I, as I think back on this story, and, and I've, I've been looking you know, over the past years of ministry here and, and uh, uh, thinking about you know, weaning down some of my files because Carol says, you're not bringing all that home. I don't know what you're going to do with it. You're not bringing it home. And, uh, and so I was looking through some of my files and there's a, a file there. In fact, there's, there's a drawer. It's not just a file. There's a drawer full of files on, on Christmas and uh, all the services and all the things that we've done over the years. And there's a favorite story I have of Christmas uh, about a man, about a young child who was actually 10 years old called Wallace Perling. I don't know if you've heard the story. It was actually first appeared in, in 1966. I saw a reprint of it. But it's about a boy who was 10 years old, but he was in second grade. He should have been in fourth grade, but he was in second grade. And it's just one of my favorite of all Christmas stories. Because uh, it came time for the uh, annual production of the Christmas program for the school. And back in the 60s, in fact, even when my kids were raised in in Texas, South Texas, it didn't matter whether you're in a public school or a Christian school. The the programs they put on the public schools could have, any church would have been proud to put on. They always included shepherds and they always included uh, the nativity and the birth of Jesus and every town square had a manger scene. It was, it was a different day, a different age, and that wasn't um, uh, considered uh, politically incorrect back in the day. And uh, Wallace wanted to be a shepherd, as did every boy, because, you know, that's a fun thing. You don't have to speak much and yet you get to be on stage a lot and you get to handle a stick, you know, so what's not to like about that? But his teacher, Mrs. Reynolds, thought that because of his size, he was so much bigger than the other kids in the room that he would make a perfect innkeeper to deny Mary and Joseph lodging. And so that was the role that was assigned to him. And so uh, in the course of the production, as Mary and Joseph approached his inn, uh, Wallace's only line was, there's no room in the end, you know, and, and uh, so Mary and Joseph, uh, you know, forlorn, walked up to his place and, and knocked on the door and he answered it and he says, I'm sorry, there is no room in the end. Just exactly right. And, and Joseph said, but my wife, we've traveled so far and she's so tired. And he says, seek lodging elsewhere, you know, and somebody whispering in the back, you know, what his lines were, and he was dutifully performing them. And he says, but we're about to have our firstborn child, dear sir. Have you no space for us? And the telling of the story, it's gone down in legend, it happened in the Midwest somewhere, true story, uh, said that uh, Wallace began to crack under the pressure but you could hear audibly Mrs. Reynolds in the background saying, no, be gone. <laughs> and, and so Wallace dutifully, you know, recited his line, 
no, be gone. And Joseph put his arm around Mary and they, they walked off the stage and Wallace, instead of shutting the door and walking back in, stepped out and watched them. And before they got off stage said, Joseph, come back. You could have my room. <laughs> Love the story. Some said that the Christmas story had been ruined, you know, but others have remembered it and said it was the best Christmas production ever performed in that place. I don't know what your childhood Christmas stories are. Uh, we probably all have them. In fact, just having the snow in our yards and on the street uh, these past few days has just brought back a flood of memories, you know, for me because I grew up near the Michigan line and just reminds me so much of, of my childhood and what that was like. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, uh, a, a tree with tinsel on it. I don't know if you even can buy that stuff anymore. It was always scraggly. And uh, in, in my home, uh, my folks were, were uh, very, very poor. They had a large family and, and didn't have much money. And I'm not seeking sympathy. It was just reality. And I never felt that I was abused. But uh, clearly looking back, uh, it must have been hard for them. And uh, they tried to make everything special as they could, but it was always done cheaply. And, and they tried to build excitement by doing things differently. Uh, we never put the Christmas tree up until the youngest of all the children went to bed, and which included me. And it was, uh, the house was pretty normal until Christmas morning so that you would have that, that big surprise, you know, of the day. And, and uh, I remember one Christmas Eve when I was finally old enough, I was probably in high school, to, to stay and be considered an adult and, and help with that process, that the tree had always been kept behind the neighbor's barn. And we'd had an ice storm, and so the tree was covered with ice. And... <laughs> Dad brought that tree in the house, <laughs> and it began to melt, and uh, he was a plain-spoken man, if I can say that, <laughs> and uh, not all of his words were holy, and, uh, and I remember he put that tree up, and, and to this day, uh, in that house, although, uh, you know, my folks are in heaven now celebrating Christmas there, but uh, there was a big brown mark where he pushed the tree across the top of the ceiling, and it, it had been wallpapered, it was all plaster house. And uh, that mark was there for years, you know, where he'd done that. And, and then the tree uh, was too big for the stand. The stand bent and fell over. And I remember Dad walking out in the front yard and throwing that stand all the way across the road into the woods on the other side of the railroad tracks. You know, that's vivid memories of, of Christmas, you know. And most of, them, most of them amusing now because they were so awful then, you know. And, and as a child, I don't know about you, but I was raised in the 50s and the 60s and... and uh, we didn't have stores, you know. We didn't have Kohl's in my town, you know. It was like the Bethlehem of Indiana. It was a, a small town of um, maybe 10,000 people at most. It was the county seat, but uh, we didn't, didn't have J.C. Penney's. We didn't have Sears. We had catalog stores, you know, and, and we had catalog books. And, and as children, you would sit and you would go through the catalog. I mean, we wore those Christmas catalogs out. You know, circling all the things that we wanted for Christmas. And mom would go to this store. It looked kind of like a dry cleaner store because there was just a bar in there. Uh, and the people would wait on you and they'd go in the back and bring your packages out. You know, green stamps and all that stuff was a part of, of that. So we never knew what she was picking up or, or what was uh, uh, to be expected. But it was never the things that we circled uh, in that book. You know, we had managed our expectations pretty well. 
We got one toy at Christmas from Santa. And then we got white socks and maybe a new pair of jeans, you know, that last the rest of the school year. Uh, it was mostly an opportunity for our, clothes, for our folks to, to buy us some new clothes. And uh, that's just the way it was. It wasn't bad. It's just the way it was. And, and uh, at church, when you came to church, I don't know if that was part of your history or not, but we wanted to go to church on Christmas Eve because we got a bag of candy, you know, with maybe an orange. And fruit wasn't readily available back then either in these small towns. And, and to get fresh fruit or to get hard candy that you would have to crack on something hard to break apart because it had all melted together, that was just a special thing. And then we'd drive through the rich people's neighborhoods up on Cherry Street or uh, La Fountain, and we'd see lights outside. Now lights are everywhere, but not so much back in the day. It was just different. Christmas never quite met your expectations, but nobody cared. Christmas for us was more being off school, being able to go sledding, maybe shovel the driveways of uh, some people up on Cherry Street, you know, where you could get paid, and, and looking forward to... Um, Christmas at my grandparents' house because we did have a very rich aunt and uncle, and we got a better gift from them than we ever got from Santa. I don't know about your Christmas this year. Did it meet your expectations? Or was it less than you expected? You know, the story of the, of the famous Christmas movies and the famous Christmas books and the famous Christmas stories are almost always about a Christmas fail. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you know, wrote and <laughs> written, you know, uh, centuries ago, is about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge, who had just accepted the fact that his life was never going to be wonderful. He had accepted the fact that uh, he had made his bed and he was now quite willing to sleep in it, miserable as he was. And these ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future uh, came to meet with him because uh, someone had not given up on him. They did not think his heart was so far gone that it could not be rescued. And he had this encounter with the, um, the spirit of Christmas present. And he said to that spirit, I am too old beyond all hope. You know, I've just resolved that my life, my Christmases... Is ne- are never going to be you know, what I want or, or as satisfying as they should be. He said, go and redeem some other younger, more promising creature and leave me to keep Christmas in my own way. Spirit of Christmas present said, mortal, we spirits of Christmas do not live one day a year. We live the whole 365 days. So it is true of the child born in Bethlehem. He does not live in men's hearts one day of the year, but in all the days of the year. You have chosen not to seek him in your heart. Therefore, you will come with me and seek him in the heart of men of goodwill. You know, despite his having accepted that Christmas would never be something special for him, you know, the Lord wanted something better. Or how about uh, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life? You know, we're... Uh, he regrets having ever been born. And, and uh, the Lord sends a guardian angel named Clarence to uh, make him realize that uh, despite the fact that his life has been a fail, that it has not turned out the way he wanted, his life was still important. And through these encounters with Clarence, uh, where he's given this, Clarence says, a special opportunity to see what, his li- what the world would be without him in his life, 
he comes to realize that even his life has been blessed and others blessed through him. Clarence says to him, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many others. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? And he realizes then that his life has resulted in the blessing of many other lives and, and also a blessing to him. Or how about uh, this one? <laughs> National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation with Clark Griswold. You know, he wanted to have the perfect Christmas. He's going to do his house in a perfect way. You know, it's just going to be remarkable. It's going to stand out. And he was going to have his whole family in. And he had all these plans and all of the plans failed miserably. You know, the house was destroyed. The tree was burnt up and they barely survived. And his wife, Ellen, says, Clark, I just think it would be best if everyone went home before things get any worse. (laughs) Clark said, worse? Worse? How could things possibly get any worse? Take a look around here, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. (laughs) And because of Christmas fail, that's become a beloved movie, you know, because it makes our Christmas fail seem so much, you know, smaller by comparison. Or uh, it's been interesting because our granddaughter, Cammie, who spends before school and after school a lot at our house, has discovered the Grinch that stole Christmas this year. And uh, she, she watches it over and over and over again. And you can just see she's fascinated not just by the, the production value of it, but also the message of it. And it's interesting how the Grinch wants everybody to be miserable because he's miserable. But then this little girl touches his life and, and he restores all the presents, uh, realizing that uh, you know, perhaps Christmas doesn't come from stores. Perhaps it means a whole lot more. And, and so the village is also changed by the change of his heart. And they invite him to be the uh, guest of honor at their annual Christmas parade. And the Grinch says, and I love the writing of, of that production. He says, the nerve of those who's inviting me down there on such short notice. Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. 5 o'clock, solve world hunger but tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with self-loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I bump the loathing part back to 9, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But then what would I wear? You know, just, <laughs> Christmas fail. It's all about Christmas fail. And our expectations probably never in this earth, you know, meet um, the reality probably never meets our expectation. But the beauty of Christmas is that it's not up to you. Regardless of your circumstance, you know, Christmas is something that God does for you. It's not something that you do for each other. It's not something that you even do for God. You know, it's, it's what this day and last night means and that God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son. So even Joseph and Mary, although they found no place to stay, were in constant amazement of God's provision, especially as they watched this child grow in wisdom 
and stature and favor with God and men. You know, as you grow closer to the Lord, the Lord will grow closer to you. And you will see that no matter what your circumstance, God is in your circumstance and brings blessing to every household. That's the beauty of the fact that he was born, you know, in a place meant for animals. He was born to a homeless family. There's no one beneath him. You know, he has come for all of us to be the savior of the rich, the wise men, the magi who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the despised like the shepherds, and the homeless like Mary and Joseph. He has come for each and every one of us. And in that there is beauty, in that there is hope, in that there is the reality that none of us are beyond the reach of the Lord who loves us all. So no matter whether your Christmas meets your expectation or does not, there's nothing you can do to change the fact that God provided exactly what you need in the person of Christ who guarantees you not only eternal life, but also now, something really special now, a gift now that your prayers are heard and God is aware of your situation and you can have every expectation that he will provide because Jesus has made you worthy to ask of your father anything and according to his will he has no reason not to grant it so whatever you receive from him uh, he can make it a blessing as he has through time and as he has through also your time and your life amen we pray gracious lord we we thank you that and despite uh, our attempts to make the perfect Christmas and, and how we fall short and, and the classic stories about how life has always fallen short of, of expectation, you never fell short of our greatest need. Beyond our expectation, you provided a Savior. Beyond Savior for eternal life, you have provided access to your throne of grace even now. And so, Lord, we pause and we give you thanks. And we can say to each other, this is truly a merry Christmas, a a truly merry day to celebrate and worship Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen.